the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a Friday, TGIF. It's a good thing. I'm uh, I'm I'm happy the week's coming to an end. Too many twists and turns this week. It's been crazy. Uh, if you did not hear, uh, President Trump contacted the uh, Republican National Convention and told them uh, that the uh, RNC was canceling its uh, convention in Jacksonville, and. Uh, so uh, no convention coming up. That means I'm not going anywhere in August. I'll be still here in uh, in Little Rock during time. I am going to Florida in September, though. I'm heading back to Panama Beach and uh, hanging out there. I was just talking to Heidi, and Heidi's the producer. You know Heidi. You've heard her on the air many times now since she's taken over, and it's, uh, she's done a fantastic job. But uh, we have her... Now, I was talking to her and uh, and said it's going to be kind of interesting to see the governor is going to uh, either uh, live or, or or die by his own sword. I hate to put it that way, but it's the truth. Uh, you know, he came out starting this Monday with a mandatory, if you're in public, you must wear a mask ruling. And with that in mind, uh, take a couple of weeks here, and we should see drastic changes in the numbers. I mean, everybody's freaking out 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 in uh, uh, you know Arkansas and all over the country about how many people are uh, getting the coronavirus, and uh, nobody's talking about. Fatalities are going way down, that uh, but people getting it are going way up, and it, uh, people now are worried about just even getting the virus. Uh, it'd be kind of I'm I'm going to be interested this year to see how people react just to the normal flu. Uh, I had a friend that uh, texted me the other day and said. You know they're going to have when they be, when they get into um, the fall and uh, the beginning of the flu season. What are they going to do? Are they going to st- start? Are they going to test for COVID nineteen immediately, or will they test to see if it's just a normal flu? Because don't you know all these people that are living in fear right now? And and I'm I'm not I'm not going to pass judgment. I do feel sorry for people who are living their lives this way, where they're holed up in their houses. They don't want to leave. I mean, if they could buy a, 
a cost-affected hazmat uh, suit. I figure they probably would. Uh, but uh, I just don't live my life that way. I just don't live my life that way. You know, I um, I follow the, the rules. Uh, they said I got to wear a mask. I had to go over to Walmart yesterday, buy some milk, and uh, had to pick up a few other items. And I put on my mask, which is the Joker mask. It's got the big smile on it. And uh, made my way around Walmart, bought things I wanted, and, and uh, went through and checked myself out. I'm kind of, you know, it kind of interests me that they don't uh, have, if, if everybody's so worried about this stuff, why don't they have wipes at the self-checkouts? I mean, where you can wipe off the conveyor belt and you can wipe off the thing that you got to put your veggies down on to weigh them and all that. They don't have any of that. Uh, I did grab a sanitizing wipe as I came in, wiped off the the handle of the cart that I had. But yeah, it's just you know what? How how people? How are people going to react when we get into normal flu season? I mean, if you start getting the sniffles. Are you going to say, oh, my God, I got COVID-19 and want to have a COVID-19 test? That's the expense of that is too high. I mean, to be honest, that's too high. You should be tested. They can do a test and find out if you got the flu first or just the common cold. And I think that's going to have to happen first. But, boy, I tell you, just... uh, we have turned into a weird country. Um, we really, we really, really have uh, a country of fear. And and I never thought I would see that here in the United States. Although I saw some of that when I was a kid, the people who were actually in in back of their homes digging holes in the ground and putting fallout shelters, as though they thought they could live through a nuclear blast look i lived i lived 20 miles from chicago if they had lit if they had uh, lit us up uh in uh in in chicago all the area around chicago would have been wiped out as well i mean uh, there's about uh, from uh, milwaukee all the way down to michigan city indiana about six million uh people live in that area uh, about that many people would have died in all honesty and how many people would have wanted to try to live in a fallout shelter to wait for at that time the dirty bombs that we were dropping uh, to uh, what would you have come out to just kind of it was kind of it had been you and the roaches. That's what I tell you what about, there, to be honest. Twelve minutes after six, uh, uh, our, uh, our thoughts in mind for anybody who's caught the virus. I don't want anybody to die. I, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, I am a pragmatist about death because everybody dies. And... Um, Maybe there's a silver lining and that people will understand that. You're not going to live forever. Enjoy every day that God gives you uh, to enjoy. And uh, I intend to do that today. After I get off the air today, I typically take about an hour's nap. 
uh, and then I get back up. And if it's sunny out and it's nice, I go out and sit by the the table by the the pool with a you know like a diet coke or some uh, iced tea or whatever, big glass of it, and sit and enjoy the day. I like just sitting there by the pool and listen uh, listening to the water gurgle. And no, I don't have an in-ground pool. I got a big uh, above-ground pool because I live on a ridge out here in the Cabot area, and it's uh, you know it's bedrock. After you get down about three feet, I mean, uh, boy, we tried to see if we could get into if it was just a a, a thin layer, and it wasn't. Man, we were we could have started a fire with the with the sparks that we were uh, you know making. Uh, with the bucket of the back hole that we were digging with. So anyway, bottom line is, um, you know, I like to go out and just sit in the day. I'm going to go pick up uh, some plants this weekend. I, I picked up some a couple of weeks ago, got a couple of hibiscus trees. I I, I love hibiscus. Um, when I was on Guam, I fell in love with that, that plant. And here in the United States, you know, you, you feel good. You get a You got your little tree, and it's got... Uh, you know, it's about four or five foot tall, and it's got five or six flowers on it, those big orange flowers. And you're sitting there, and you're checking them out, and they they, they lift your spirits because they're so beautiful. And uh, then I think about Guam, where those hibiscus trees were 20, 25 foot tall. I mean, tree trees, because the Weather is perfect for them on Guam, and they are just magnificent, absolutely magnificent-looking uh, uh, trees, and uh, loved them. Can't, can't grow them as big as we'd like to grow them uh, here in the States, but that's all right. I grow it as big as I can. The ones that I got, uh, I'll, uh, I'll be putting them inside during the, the wintertime and protecting them, and you got to watch uh, for pests and spray them for those but uh, if you if you hold on to them for a few years and move them to bigger pots you can get about a seven foot tree out of them and they are just beautiful and I bought some palms uh, that uh, can last through the winter and uh, we bought we brought some uh, I'm trying to think uh, uh, dragon lilies which are really pretty and they come back every year uh, we got those out there in the back, so I can go and sit in my. I don't have a little jungle. I just got little uh, groups of plants, and uh, really nice. But I am going to go buy something that I really like uh, to plant along my fence line, and that's Russian uh, sage. I love Russian sage. I I don't know if anybody else is a gardener out there. I I try to be. I've got more of a black thumb than I got a green thumb. And, and part of that is due to the high clay mixture we have in the soil out here in Cabot. So you got to kind of build above the soil uh, kind of a box uh, so you can put a really good soil in it, about eight inches or so, and, and put that in there so it's, your stuff will grow. So I'm going to try to get some Russian sage and put them back behind the, the pool. I got an area you can walk around the pool. But then there's about a, I guess it's about a foot and a half from the fence to the retaining wall. And I'm going to put some uh, soil and some some decorative uh, wood in that area, fill it up, and uh, plant uh, 
Russian sage along the back of uh, of my my house. So those purple flowers, if I get them planted now, they should flower uh, nicely all the way through the end of October. All right, uh, 17 after 6, coming up at uh, 635, we'll have a widow of a Navy SEAL joining us who uh, was uh, one of the wives of a SEAL member uh, that was portrayed in Lone Survivor, uh, the story about Marcus Luttrell. And uh, we're going to talk to her about how difficult it is to, to move on with your life uh, when the person that you love and that you were planning to spend your whole life with is is ripped out of your grips. So we're going to talk about that between 6.35 and 7 o'clock. I uh, hope that you'll definitely stick around to hear that story. Uh, from 7 till 9, Robert Steinbach and Chris uh, Corbett. Of course, every Friday joins me, so they'll be here, and we can talk about a lot of different things with them. I think one of the main topics that we'll talk with them is the CDC now, the Trump administration, and a lot of other people are saying we can open the schools and uh, and be safe about it. So we'll uh, we'll t- we'll take up those issues and talk about them uh, here uh, on the uh, the show today and. I got all kinds of people uh, hitting me, uh, asking me about uh, calling in today. And um, then uh, everybody wanted me to to wish uh, State Senator Jason Rapert uh, uh, healthy wishes. Uh, if you hadn't heard, he was uh, tested positive for COVID-19. He had been in the hospital, had had uh, pneumonia. Uh, he is responding well to treatment, asked for prayers to heal. And uh, so that uh, that's what's uh, going on as, uh, as far as today. Matt Smith will join us at 8.30. Uh, a lot of movie theaters have been talking about opening uh, the end of this week. We'll see what Matt has to say about that. Matt has had his theaters, his uh, VIPs, uh, theaters from all the way from uh, Hot Springs all the way up to Batesville open uh, for for weeks now. So we'll talk to him about that. Uh, I saw where the New Mutants uh, are planning still to come out this year. We'll see if that's going to happen. Tenant has been moved uh, to 2021. So we'll talk to him about all of that. 6.20 in the morning. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Stay tuned. It, more coming your way right here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, we continue. Got a few minutes here before we get to the bottom of the hour. Navy SEAL Widow coming up with us uh, at 6.35. Uh, has a new book out. Uh, uh, he was involved with what happened in Afghanistan 2005-2006, you know, that they based the movie Soul Survivor on, a story about Marcus Luttrell, and uh, Marcus has been a friend to this this show, and we've had him on uh, several times. Uh, Maybe we should try to get him on again in the near future and see what he thinks about uh, the lawlessness that's going on in our country. I, I can tell you what he thinks about it. I mean, I, I know him well enough that he would—he would—he's—he's he's doing the same thing I am, shaking his head and wondering, 
you know, what the hell's going on in our country and what it is with these uh, mayors. I got a kick out of the the mayor of Oakland. Did you did you see what happened to her, Heidi? By any chance, what? the ma- the mayor of Oakland? No. Yeah, a bunch of uh, protesters, and I say that with air quotes. All right, showed up at her house and and painted to defund the police and and all kinds of uh, leftist slogans all over her home at two o'clock in the morning. You know, just tried to terrorize her family basically, and then that evening. They had a city council meeting, and she stood up and said, I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm going to do the best thing uh, for our, our city. Uh, we've already, uh, you know, defunded the police and, and cut the fat from their budget, uh, but we're not going to cut it anymore. And, uh, she, and she uh, broke a tie on the Oakland uh, City Council to not cut the budget any lower for the uh, the Oakland Police Department and uh, just said that she was not going to be intimidated by the Antifa people and the Black Lives Matter people that uh, had gathered outside her home, uh, not last night, but the night before last. So good for her. Good for her. She's she's she said, look, we need to have this money uh, to protect our citizenry. And uh, they have done. She did so. So good for her. I'm glad she stood up to those people, unlike uh, her compatriot in Portland, Oregon, who evidently go ahead and burn City Hall down. It wants uh, the uh, the feds to, to take down the chain link fence that has been erected across the street there uh, to keep uh, the people from able to approach. Uh, City Hall, because every night they're there, uh, Antifa and the rioters uh, trying to get to there and get it and set it on fire and burn it to the ground. So, uh, you know, President Trump refuses to uh, not, uh, you know, protect federal buildings that are in that area. That's his responsibility, and that's what he's doing. And, uh, just to, this this mayor says, but you, I'm not kidding you. This is true. Uh, said, but you're blocking the bike path. You're you're blocking the bike path. What a stooge! I mean, serious. It's, I got other words I could use, but I I won't uh, to, to to mention this guy. Lack of gray matter is. Um, in his evidently saying, I'm going to call Lars uh, later today and see if I can't uh, get him on next week to talk about this idiot uh, in Portland and how are the people feeling about it. Did you see the parents? There's some parents there that have their little kids, you know, four, five, six-year-old kids walking out with signs, these placards, big placards, with obscenities all over them. That's the way you want to raise your child, right? I mean, um, yeah, perhaps some of us should go see those parents and wash their mouths out with soap. I don't know. It, it just, I don't understand what has happened in our nation with some of the people in our nation. I mean, I, look, when I was younger, 
and I was hanging around some of those people uh, during the late 60s. I didn't understand them there uh, then, and I definitely don't understand them now. Absolutely do not understand them in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I mean, the people there were people during my time when I was younger in my uh, early 20s that wanted to blow buildings up. They called themselves the Weathermen, and we finally saw them leave. Uh, we had the original Black Panthers. Now we got the new Black Panthers. We got Antifa. We got Black Lives Matter, and they're much more destructive now than they ever were. All right, let's catch up on the news. We'll do that, and then our special guest coming up right after here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Good to have you with us. Uh, We're going to get Char Westfall on here in just a moment. She is the author of a new book that's called A Beautiful Tragedy, A Navy Seal Widow's Permission to Grieve and a Prescription for Hope. And um, I hope that you will uh, recognize the fact that these are the hardest books to write. I mean, Marcus Luttrell and Lone Survivor, that was a tough book for him to write because he, lo- he lost a lot of buddies in the mountains of Afghanistan uh, about 15 years ago, a little over 15 years ago. And that was hard for him to retell. But when you're the, the wife uh, and, and you retell this story of the day that you find out that your husband has been killed and uh, you, you relive the, the horror of that and the anger of that, uh, I've got to give her all the credit in the world uh, that uh, she's uh, sitting and writing uh, about this. So we're going to have her on in just a moment. Uh, her husband lost his life uh, during a mission. It was called Operation Red Wings. You may remember that uh, when it happened in the mountains of Afghanistan. Uh, it's become uh, known as one of the most uh, uh Freshest examples of contemporary warfare. Uh, only one survivor lived to tell the uh, the terrible story of of that. And the blockbuster movie Lone Survivor, uh, uh, and uh, was the story of Marcus Luttrell, who we've had on this show countless times. Uh, haven't in the last couple of years. He's kind of. Uh, gotten out of the sunshine a little bit and and maybe i don't bel- i don't uh, f- feel I, I i can understand that he does not want to um perhaps continue to talk about uh that fateful day uh in that time in afghanistan i understand uh char is with us char how are you I'm good, thank you how are you this morning i'm doing fantastic i was just saying that uh, i I, I can't uh, say enough how uh, amazed I am by this book called A Beautiful Tragedy. It's one thing to be the survivor of a mission and write about it and talk about, you know, how tough it was and how tough it was to lose your 
your band of brothers and things of that nature, which is what Marcus Luttrell did. But, but it's totally different when it's somebody who's a family member. In this case, you were uh, Jacques Fontaine's wife, and you wrote about his death. And nothing could be more personal, Char, than that. What, what came out of after 15 years, a little over 15 years now, because uh, Operation Red Rings uh, happened back on June 28th of 2005. Uh, what, what made you want to write this book? Um, well, a couple of years back, a friend of mine um, was talking to myself and my, my husband now, I'm remarried, and they're just talking about how I'm called up by different foundations to go and um, speak to other women who lose their, who have lost their husbands. And they said, you know, maybe you should just put this into a book because you went through such a huge loss and you hit not so much rock bottom. I never did anything that I was embarrassed of, but I just became very angry and hit a really low, low of low and picked myself back up, found love again, remarried, and, you know, have a family. And, you know, they said, maybe you should just put this down and so others can read read about it and know that they're not alone and maybe some of the feelings that they experience. And also it gives friends and family members a little bit of an insight into what, you know, we, you go through when you're going through grief and have such a loss. And so that's just kind of what inspired me to put it down on paper and, um, in the hopes that it would help somebody else going through this. Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about this because, you know, being a, a military wife, uh, is not easy in the first place. Being a military wife of a Navy SEAL is definitely not an easy thing and uh, you you had both of those already saddled upon your shoulders and then you get that faithful call that fateful call that your husband has been killed in action can you kind of i don't want you to go back and have to to pick the the, the scab off any wounds but can you kind of tell us a little bit about what those first few days were like sure so um when we heard about, well, I go into a little bit more detail in the book, but I'll try. Um, it was rough. It was hard. I never expected it. I mean, you kind of, it's always in the back of your mind, but I think I, I at that point in time, you know, being younger and um, this being his first deployment into Afghanistan, I just wow. kind of thought it was going to be easy. Um, not so much easy in the sense that, you know, he wasn't doing anything, but I was like, it's going to be fine. I just kind of went about my, my life. I was working. I had a strong support group. We had a great group of friends and we just kept ourselves busy. And I just figured, you know, he's, he's Jacques, he's a seal. Nothing's going to happen to him. And so when we first heard about it, I just had a pit in my stomach. And I was like, I just know it's him. I know something's wrong. I feel a loss already. And, um, I had, I would have dinners at my house once a week, started as just us girls. And then if their husbands were in town, um, bring them because we'd get so little time with them. So I was like, if they're in town, please bring them. So thankfully that night I had about 
15 people at my house and um, we had started making dinner and a friend of mine went down to the garage with me to try to find the charcoal to start up the grill and we heard car doors shut and we're kind of like who would be here everyone's pretty much already here and we turn and look and I'll just never forget seeing these three people in uniform um, getting out of cars and I I just started walking towards them and my friend Heath grabbed my arm and we, he's like, Shar, we're not doing this down here. You need to get upstairs to your house. Right. We lived on the second story. And um, so we went up there and they asked all my friends to step outside. And I remember my friend Gonzo, before Jacques left, he asked, was one of his requests was, please don't let a stranger go and tell Shar if something happens to me. Uh-huh. I want somebody who knows me and knows her. And so I remember him just standing there looking at me and they hadn't found the helicopter yet. So they had to, he had to tell me that they were missing in action. And so I was like, Oh, okay. So there is a chance. And he just looked at me and I just knew that, right. you know, what he was trying to tell me. So he then had to come back the next day and tell me that um, they had found them and that there were no survivors. And so that was just, yeah, the start of a very long, I would say three weeks. I think it took them about a week or two weeks to get them home. I know that we didn't have his funeral, his burial in um, Florida until July 11th. And so I know it was just a few days prior to that that we were um, had the big memorial service in Virginia Beach. So it was um, it was a long, long time between the actual finding out about them and having services. So it was it was a long, long, long days between uh, for those first couple of weeks for sure. You had a group of people that were over. We're going to have a barbecue with you at this moment, and I'm just wondering, do you recollect how the other spouses reacted when that when this happened? I mean, we're talking about people that their husbands do the exact same thing that your husband was doing. Uh, yeah, two of them, their husbands were with me, you know, inside getting the news, so... I know that they, I, I remember hearing screaming like out on my porches and like people just start sobbing. So I remember those sounds and I know one of my friend's husbands was actually going to replace shock. Like they were um, sister platoons and so they were sitting in Germany waiting to go uh, relieve Jacques yeah, yeah. platoon. And so I just remember, you know, she's sitting there grieving over You know, my husband, another um, one of their close friends was Matt Axelson. And at that point, they hadn't found him yet. And then she's knowing that her husband is going to relieve those guys. You know, there was just a lot um, of emotion. You know, they're trying to help me. They're grieving. They're worried. They're stressed. It was it was a lot for especially, you know, all of us were young at the time, um, young SEAL wives, military wives. And so. There's a lot to process, for sure. Well, there's no doubt that you're a believer, uh, and because of that, uh, that probably helped you as you went through your grieving uh, process. But I'd like you to talk to fellow believers that God understands our anger. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. 
I have been a believer since, you know, as long as I can remember, raised in the church. Um, obviously, still very young in my faith back then. And so I had been sitting in church on Sunday praying for him, you know, bring him home, keep him safe. And then, you know, two to three days later, uh, you know, I'm getting this news that he's gone and he's not coming home. And I just, just remember asking God, why, why, what did I do? How, you know, what, what lesson are you trying to teach me? And so then during the first year, I just became very angry with him. And especially because people kept telling me, oh, God must have, God must have, you know, you're very strong because God only does oh. this to people who give this to somebody who can handle it. And I remember thinking, well, that's just a horrible thing. I mean, why would he pick me? Not that I wanted this to happen to another friend or even an enemy right. for that matter. This is the pain. But I was like, oh, so I'm, he made me strong so that then this would happen to me. And when I finally realized how angry I was, um, I said, okay, I need, I need to go and talk to somebody. And I had started going back to church. I wasn't happy about it. Um, but my friend who is actually now my, my husband, he would just be like, just come with me. You don't, you know, just come and sit. And now I recently heard him tell somebody that I remember her in those first months, just, she would just look down the whole time. She wasn't singing, wasn't paying, you know, wasn't looking at our pastor or anything. Just, she just he sat there with her, like hands fisted up and, um, he goes, but at least she's here. So if one drop gets absorbed every time I bring her and softens her heart again towards God, you know, then, you know, that's all I can ask for. And, you know, with time, I know she's going to find her way back. And so when I did seek help, I went to our pastor and got a chance to talk to him. And he said, well, first let's address, you know, this God only gives it to the people who can handle it. He goes, God never says that anywhere in the Bible. That's right. What he says is that we are going to experience hard times and tragedies, but my promise to you is I'm never going to leave you. Right. And so that helped tremendously. So I was like, okay, (laughs) that makes so much more sense than what people were telling me. And so over time, I was able to look back. And I re- I'm off, off, you know, remembered or, or reminded of the poem Footprints about, God, why is there only, you said you're never going to leave me. There's only one set of footprints. And he goes, that's when I was carrying you. Uh-huh. And it's so true because I look back and I'm like, I saw, even during my anger, that he never left me. And as soon as I was able to tell him that, and that's another thing the pastor said, he's like, don't be afraid to tell God you're angry. He knows it be honest with him, be truthful with your feelings. And, um, as soon as I did that, oh my gosh, it was such a weight lifted off my shoulders and off my heart. It was, it was like such a turning point for me, I would say. All right, Char, I'm going to take a break right now. Then we'll come back and finish up our discussion. Char Westfall is our guest. She's penned a book called a beautiful tragedy. What an interesting title. We'll find out why she chose that title. A Navy SEAL widow's permission to grieve and a prescription for hope. We'll continue with Char when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Seven minutes till seven on a Friday. Our special guest uh, during this half hour, 
Char Westfall. She is the author of a new book called A Beautiful Tragedy, A Navy Seal Widow's Permission to Grieve and a Prescription for Hope. And Char, why the title? That it, 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 it sounds kind of like a conundrum, A Beautiful mm-hmm. Tragedy. Why, why did you choose that title? Well, yeah, it doesn't sound like it should go together, but um, my thought behind it was it was a tragedy. It was a horrible loss for me in my time, and um, but what I have done with my life and how I feel like I have picked myself back up again and where I am 15 years later, um, finding love again, becoming a wife again, and a mother that I thought I had lost when I lost shock. There's just a beauty that was able to come from such a tragedy. And so that's just kind of where it came from and just kind of fit. And as much as we tried to change the title and go back and forth, we just kept coming back and saying, no, this is what makes sense. And so that's where it came from. Would you like to talk a little bit about, you know, if you've been in the military and I I served for just a little under a decade, and I understand that the family plays an integral part uh, in the life of anybody who serves in the military. And as we were talking during the break, I said, you were as much a combatant uh, as your husband was. Uh, Would you like to talk to people who have never found themselves in that position, whose husband doesn't take on that type of a role, and what it's like to be a, uh, you know, not, not just a widow, but just to be a spouse of a military member. Sure. Well, thank you for your service to our country. That's um, just a beautiful sacrifice you made. So thank you. Um, being a Navy, I was a Navy brat. My dad was Navy for 20 years. And so it's, I always found pride in what my dad did and what Jacques had done and with military families in general. I mean, there's just a lot that they take on. My sister is a wife of an um, Army colonel, lieutenant colonel. Wow. And there's just so much that each family member sacrifices. I mean, the men need a strong family behind them, or the man or the woman, I should say. Um, They need the support. They need to know that you are still going to be there. You're still going to love them. You're still going to, you know, understand what they've chosen to do. They give up a lot. They give up holidays and birthdays and um, it's a choice that they make. And I think it's an honorable choice. And um, so to support them, if you aren't military, just thank them, support them, understand them. Don't criticize them um, because, you know, the families that need, need the support as well. I mean, someone told me that, you know, you, um, you're a survivor as well. And I said, right. no, it's Marcus was the survivor. They're like, yeah, but you're still here living to tell his story. And so I said, oh, I've never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always challenge people, though, as well. My husband, now we do golf tournaments to raise money for local military foundations. And we've said to people, you know, if you see a name of a fallen, don't just read it and say, oh, you know, thank him, you know, thank Thankfully, you know, thankful for his service. Get to know them. Look up their name. Find out if they had a family. Find out about them because I think the more that you learn about a fallen service member, the better 
you can keep their memory alive. All right. It's not just a name, they become a person to you. Char Westfall is the author's name. She is the widow of a uh, Navy SEAL. His name was Jacques Fontaine. Is that correct? Did I pronounce that correct? Yes. Okay. Perfect. And uh, he uh, he gave his life in the service to his country. Sorry. That's okay. And I want to thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always an honor, and I appreciate the uh, opportunity to share share about Jacques and um, and our journey that that we've had. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you for your book. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Char. Have a nice day. Thank you, right. too, Dave. All, All right. right. Char Westfall, author of uh, A Beautiful Tragedy. You know, being former military, being a you know, former active duty, uh, and, I, and I talk to women like this, and I talk to men who served and women who have served, um, and I've talked to the families of those who have died. And if, if you've never served, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I am telling you this, you'll never understand truly what an active duty or even a National Guard soldier, airman, Navy sailor, or whatever goes through. Just be glad that they're there to stand between you and the enemy. Robert Steinbach, Chris Corbett are next here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Six minutes after seven on a Friday, TGIF. Going to be up about 92 degrees. Feel like it's about 105 today. So typical summer day in central Arkansas. Typical day for me. I'll be out by the pool, uh, basking in the sunlight, enjoying my afternoon. And uh, uh, over the weekend, I'm getting some people over here on uh, Sunday. Going to have uh, a barbecue and have time together. And uh, I I don't feel like I need to apologize, but I'm going to anyway, because I'm people who know me know that I'm not a real, real emotional guy. It takes a lot to um, to get me real emotional. Uh, But Char Westfall did that today. And the other time that I became emotional like that was when I was talking about covering the news and and the and and. The, the number of deaths that I saw when I was, uh, you, know, co- you know, covering the news. I got to know a lot of people that I consider heroes when I was in the military who uh, my father was a hero. He fought in the Battle of the Bulge. And, and I hold the people who uh, serve their country 
in the highest regard. I really, really do. Number one, I served in the military, uh, and my job was reporting stories to, to at that time to uh, men and women who were serving so they understood the other jobs that other members of the Air Force, I was in the Air Force, uh, were doing. So they got a kind of a little bit of a taste of, of everybody's effort. Uh, you know, if you're in the Air Force and I say AFSC, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's the designator of your job. And uh, it's amazing. It is seriously amazing what uh, military men and women do to protect this country. And every day that you get up, if you see somebody in, in uniform in the military, you know, make sure you say thanks for what they do. Same thing with police officers, uh, EMTs, uh, all of those folks, first responders, because you know what? Here's the thing. You know, all these people want to defund the police and they hate the police and the police are brutal and blah, 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 blah. Let me just tell you something. You know, when bad things are happening and you're running your ass off to get away from them, they're running towards them, most of them. I'm not going to say there's not a, a minority that does, uh, doesn't do that, because there are some that don't, don't do that. We had a, a, a school officer do that down in Florida when that school shooting occurred, uh, hid instead of doing what he should have done. But the bottom line is the great majority run towards the destruction to see what they can uh, save from the destruction while the rest of us run away from it. Keep that in mind. It's the same thing in the military. A lot of people out there uh, serving, and they run towards the enemy. They don't run away from the enemy. All right, 10 minutes after 7, and, and Operation Red Wing was a tragic day in the mountains of Afghanistan. Um, if you've not seen the movie, may I suggest to you that you watch, I think uh, Wahlberg uh, was the uh, uh, main star of it, of Lone Survivor, which is all about Marcus Luttrell. He was the only person uh, from uh, that platoon that survived on the uh, the mountainside of uh, of there in, in Afghanistan. And uh, Jacques Fontaine, uh, the husband of the white, uh, of Shar, who was on just a moment ago, uh, was killed evidently in the uh, uh, the Sigorsky that was going into the mountains to land and, and bring reinforcements and uh, uh, was shot down. And everybody was lost on, on that, uh, that helicopter. So with that said, uh, I'm, I apologize that I got a little bit of emotional there. Although deep down in my heart, I'm going to always get emotional when I talk about people like that. All right. So uh, we're going to move on now. I've got myself pulled back together again. Uh, Chris Corbett is here and Robert Steinbach are here. And it's good to have you guys with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, before I go any further, I wanted to remind uh, our listeners that uh, tomorrow, uh, yes, tomorrow is going to be the, uh, uh, the, the Arkansas March for Freedom. Uh, this is a protest. Stand up for freedom uh, is uh, 
going to be big. It's going to be in front of the governor's mansion. Uh, right now, I've been told, we've been promoting it on my website. Uh, right now, we have, uh, we've been notified that they're expecting just shy of 1,000 people uh, to be there tomorrow. Uh, if you can be there, I suggest you go and be there because there's a lot going on here in our state dealing with COVID-19 that is unconstitutional. Look, we cannot, we must not uh, give up our constitutional freedoms, as Benjamin Franklin said, uh, from, for some security. Because as he said, those who are willing to give up uh, freedoms for a little bit of security in the end will have neither. I'm paraphrasing that, Sam, but that's exactly what he wanted us to remember. And uh, so, Chris and, and Robert, uh, that's going to be a big deal tomorrow if uh, over a 1,000 people show up to tell the governor they're not happy with uh, what I believe and what a lot of uh, uh, state reps and state senators believe is uh, his uh, taking additional power from other branches of the government. Uh, during this uh, COVID-19 uh, time frame in Arkansas? Well, Dave, I think it's really important. We've talked about this already on your show uh, several times uh, to recognize that the legislature is the most democratic. And of course, I don't mean that in terms of party affiliation, the most democratic of the three branches of government that is closest to the people. And so, I always think, and I've thought so for all the time that I've been considering issues of politics and law, that the legislature should be the driving force in government. And so part of the problem that we have here in Arkansas is that our legislature meets only every other year for substantive matters. And then the alternate year, as you know, is fiscal And I think we are moving to a point that we should change that. We should have the legislature meeting every year on substantive matters. Uh, Moreover, uh, I understand that um, Gonzalez, uh, um, I think it's Representative Gonzalez. Uh I I can't remember if he's a rep or a senator, frankly, but I think it's Rep. Gonzalez has a bill that says if the governor issues an emergency order, it automatically calls the legislature back in session uh, so that they can participate. And I think that approach makes good sense as well. So uh, I understand the um, frustration, certainly, of the legislators. And I also understand, to some extent, the governor's predicament in that he needs to act. Uh, But I, I know that the legislature needs to be more involved Uh, and there needs to be a mechanism for the legislature to be more involved. And at this juncture, frankly, I think the governor should call the legislature back into session uh, and we should operate on a number of, uh, or the the legislature should get involved on a number of issues relating uh, to the coronavirus, uh, because I think that's their role. And people are looking to their state legislators to have a role in governing during this crisis. So I think that's the right way to go. All right. Chris, your thoughts. Man, I've been thinking about it 
um, Dave a lot, and I, I think it's it's outrageous what the governor's done here just recently. It's duplicitous. The one word is duplicity. He's asking the general public to obey the law that he's, um, you know, as the, as the king of the state, he's, he's issued this executive order, wear a mask. But in the same hand, he's asking uh, people to obey this law. How in the world does he expect us to obey a law when he had, he's violated the law himself? That's, that's the duplicity here. He's violated the law by usurping the legislative power. The three branches of government are equal, and he needed to run that through the legislature. Um, if you want to make a rule, you've got to kick that over to an executive department that ha- and go through the rulemaking process. And he's done neither. But yet he's, he expects the, you know, the general public to go out there and wear a mask. Um, right. that, that's my take on it. Well, uh, I guess my whole feeling of it is that I'm, I'm like Robert. He should call a special session now and let the legislature yeah help carry the burden of this instead of him making, uh, you know, these uh, decisions. And they're political. I'm sorry. I know that uh, there's people say, well, it's about time he did this because he's protecting all Arkansans or whatever. But he did it. It's a political thing, because if you read it, there's all these outs for people not to wear a mask. I mean, either wearing a mask protects everybody or it doesn't protect everybody. So let's not play around and beat around the bush. Make the decision you need to make. But he's doing it from a political angle as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, I don't ever like decisions like that. They, they tend to try to split hairs. And uh, by the time you get through with it, uh, nobody, I guess, is protected is what I'm, I'm, I'm basically saying here. So right. with, with that, I, I, would you guys agree with me if if uh, this, quote, surge uh, that we're having in Arkansas doesn't, uh, you know, top out and start falling drastically because the governor said you got to wear a mask, that we can say perhaps the whole uh, idea of wearing a mask and mitigating uh, future, uh, you know, people getting infected. Maybe it's not as right. good as everybody is saying it is. Well, I certainly think that we should go by what proves to be effective. I think so far masks have demonstrated to be somewhat effective. With that said, it is uh, absolutely, as you point out, uh, a um or governmental, you use the word, let me, let me change that. You use the word political. I don't think the word political is an insult. I think all of these decisions are political. That is, in difficult times, we look to those that we have elected to govern, to govern. That's a political act. But the thing is, we look to all of those that we have elected to govern, to govern. And so I believe the legislature needs to be involved. What the outcome of that will be, Nobody knows. Maybe the legislature will say you have to wear masks more, and you might disagree with that. And that's okay. But the result will be far more democratic, far more related to the people than it is when only one branch speaks. So 
So I'm not looking for a particular outcome. As you know, I'm on the, the extreme edge when it comes to self-isolating, keeping away from people, etc. And it has nothing to do with the coronavirus. I generally don't like people, right? So that's why I am <laughs> locking myself out. But the truth is that whatever decisions are made, uh, there's, there's two measures that we need to look at. The scientific effectiveness, that's the one you just raised, and how they're enacted. Are they enacted with the will of the people? That's the democratic process. All right, guys, we've got to get our first break in. 20 minutes after 7, Robert Steinbach is with us. He's law professor at Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone and do not necessarily reflect those of uh, the Bowen School of Law or uh, the campus of which it's affiliated. So uh, keep that in mind. And then Chris uh, Corbett is with us. He's an attorney here in uh, Arkansas. His specialty is in uh, engineering law. And we're going to bring them back with us after the break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about PI Roofing. Uh, yesterday, guess who was at my house? Yeah, you know why I'm going to say that. It was PI Roofing. Uh, they came and uh, checked out my roof out in the back corner, and sure enough, found a, a leak there uh, that needs to be fixed. It's going to take a little bit more than just some silicon or something like that. Uh, they're going to have to replace a, a, a piece of plywood as well. It's uh, it's rotted out. So uh, they came out. They looked at it. They uh, checked it all out, saw what was wrong. They also walked the rest of my roof uh, to make sure it was okay. Uh, the little pebbles, the fiberglass pebbles that are on top of my shingles uh, have uh, begun to come off. I mean, my, my roof was put on about 13 years ago. And uh, he mentioned to me if we had another uh, hailstorm uh, this year, uh, that uh, we probably would need to get the appraiser out with them to uh, go over replacing the roof here on the uh, the Ellswick homestead. But I, I choose uh, PI Roofing all the time because they're the best. Joel and Veronica Johnson have done a fantastic job with this company. They built it from the ground. They started by just going through subdivisions and identifying from driving by homes, ones that had problems with their roof, going and talk to the people and repairing those problems. So when you need a roof or uh, you need to have something on your roof repaired, what you need to do is contact PI Roofing. 707-3551, that's their number. That way you don't have to get face-to-face with these folks. Uh, 707-3551 or piroofing.com. I use them. I use them whenever I've got a roofing problem, and I think you would be well served to use them as well. All right, we continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and uh, I'm take, I'm checking out Elizabeth sending me some information. So uh, you were talking about a piece of legislation a little earlier, uh, Chris, about you know, whenever there's some kind of a uh, monumental, uh, you know, tragedy or or in this case, uh, uh, virus uh, that is threatening the people of Arkansas, that the, go- the governor, if he has to call an emergency, 
uh, can, uh, has to bring in the, uh, the legislature, too. That is the Hammer-Gazaway bill, just so you know. Kim Hammer uh, and, uh, and Gazaway have come up with this piece of legislation, uh, Representative Gazaway and the Senator Hammer. Uh, it's uh, an act concerning the authority of the General Assembly and the Legislative Council to act upon emergency situations to declare an emergency and uh, for other purposes. The subtitle uh, is uh, Concerning the Authority of the General Assembly and the Legislative Council to Act Upon Emergency Situations and to Declare an Emergency. Now, the declare an emergency means that it goes into, if it passes, it goes into law immediately. That's what that means. So with that in mind, uh, the draft of the bill, I got it in front of me. I'm going to send it to you guys. Uh, and during the uh, bottom of the hour, while Rush is on, uh, give you an opportunity to kind of peruse it, and we can kind of uh, maybe talk a little bit about it. But hey, Robert Steinbach, Kim Hammer is at uh, is at work. As you well know, Dave is one of my favorite legislators of all time. I mean that sincerely, because here's a man dedicated to public service and dedicated to the principles of democracy. And so it does not surprise me at all that he is the lead sponsor on a bill to ensure that we have a democratic process when it comes to these issues and any other issue for that matter. Uh, So um, Elizabeth sent it to me as well, incidentally, and so I've briefly looked over it, and I I really like what it says. I can't tell you that every I in T is the way I would write it, but maybe it is. I don't know. But it's truly uh, right in line with exactly what we have been talking about on your show, Dave, and that is that the legislature is, surprise, surprise, one of the three branches of government and the most democratic one. And so it needs to be involved in these issues, indeed, virtually all issues of governance. And so I would really like to see that happen. And like I said, I think the governor needs to call the legislature into session now. I I agree with that before this gets any uglier, to be honest, because it is getting ugly. Uh, We'll talk more about this as we come back. We've got Rush coming up, and uh, we'll see what he's uh, talking about this morning. And then uh, in about five minutes, we'll come back with uh, uh, Robert and with Chris for another hour. They'll be with us from 735 all the way to 830. Matt Smith at 835. We're going to talk to him about movie theaters may be putting off their reopenings even longer, although he's been open now for well over a month. Here's Rush. All right, we continue on a Friday edition of the Dave Ellswick Show. Chris Corbett is with us, a lawyer out of Conway, and, of course, Robert Steinbach, who is a legal professor over at the Bowen School of Law. His opinions, his own. Plus, he uh, practices law here in the uh, uh, state of Arkansas as well. So uh, you wrote an article on the website that you have, Robert, dealing with a study that I talked about yesterday here on my my show. What what I just sent you, Dave? That's not my article. That's, that's That's from the New York Times. 
Um, if it were my article, it would be better written. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the, the bottom bottom line is there was a study done by Cato uh, as far as uh, how people feel about expressing their opinions depending on what their political persuasion is. And no surprise to me at all that uh, conservatives – uh, self-censor uh, themselves much more often than progressives do. I mean, when the newspapers are uh, absolutely against uh, what you're saying, when uh, TV news is against what you say, uh, when you've got uh, uh, the people who are on CNN and other progressive news uh, uh programs are attacking people when people are showing up at the homes of people who show any inkling whether they've been progressive all their lives and suddenly uh, they don't toe the the leftist line uh, purely uh, they're attacked i.e. just uh, the other night the Oakland mayor uh, you know it's just amazing to me that uh, conservatives for the most part say anything to be honest with you Robert uh, now uh, things are going on. I mean, we've talked to, and Chris, you've been in part of those conversations, that you don't have to censor people uh, with the government. They will self-censor themselves if the pressure becomes too intolerable, and it's becoming that way here in our nation now for conservatives. Uh, do you guys agree with that? 100%, Dave. The, the fact is that... Conservatives in particular are being shunned by various important power sources in this country. Academia. I sent you part of that article that says something like one and a half percent of faculty at universities are conservative. Are you kidding me? Roughly half the country is conservative, and the universities can only find one and a half percent to fill their um, uh, the number of faculty that they have, and you'll hear all of these made-up excuses by the left. <clears throat> oh, well, you see, there aren't that many conservatives who want to go into academia. Nonsense. I know plenty of conservatives that have tried to get into academia, and they are often squeezed out. I knew a, a fellow who gradu- graduated from a top law school, clerked on the Supreme Court, and wound up now being very successful in academia, but initially was not hired by a major law school because one of its professors objected to the fact that this fellow clerked for conservative justice on the Supreme Court. You would never see that by conservatives, what few there are in academia, in hiring a liberal. You would never see that. Well, that person, that person clerked uh, for Ginsburg, so we can't hire that person. That would never happen. And this goes on routinely, and it is absolutely uh, directly discrimination. And yet, the left is the one that cries more about discrimination. We should all be concerned about discrimination, but the left seems to find it in every corner, even in instances in which it does not exist. But they seem blinded by the obvious discrimination that goes, uh, goes on routinely against conservatives in academia. 
Okay, I, I mentioned the Oakland mayor. Did you hear what the Oakland mayor did yesterday? No, what's she doing now? Okay, well, uh, the other night, it would have been Wednesday, excuse me, early in the morning, Thursday, 2 a.m. in the morning. You know, that's a time when typical uh, protesters and rioters hit the streets anymore because they don't want their faces seen and don't, and they want to do everything they do under the uh, cover of darkness. Uh, showed up at the mayor's house in Oakland and wrote defund the police and Black Lives Matter and things of that nature, spray-painted them on the side of her home. Now, this was supposed to intimidate her because uh, on Thursday, yesterday evening, uh, the city council met talking about defunding the police. Well, it was a tie vote by the city council. So the mayor had to decide uh, whether they were going to defund the police more or whether they were going to uh, stay with uh, the, the initial uh, defunding. And it's hard to figure out what that was. Some people say a million dollars. Other people say $14 million. I'm sure if we could look at the books, maybe we could figure it out and get out my abacus and, and go to work on it. But the, the bottom line is... Uh, the mayor broke the tie, and uh, the people who had showed up at her house were trying to intimidate her to make sure that she voted to defund the police, and she voted against additional defund uh, of the police. So it didn't work, and she stood up against uh, the uh, the cancel crowd and uh, and the whack jobs that are out there who are uh, trying to use their influence of showing up at 2 a.m. at a person's personal residence where their kids are and uh, family is and trying to intimidate a whole family. Uh, and, and she stood against them. So, I mean, she's as lefty as, as they come, and I stand firmly in her corner that she did the right thing. She made the statement at, before she cast her vote that she would vote uh, to to keep the people of Oakland safe. And so she voted uh, to keep money uh, and not defund uh, the police. So I give her kudos for that. But this is the way the left is working now. Look at what they have done to Tucker Carlson. You know, they've he's oh, had yeah. to move, I yeah. think, three times uh, because they keep coming to where he lives and uh, assaulting him overnight. You know, with loudspeakers and all kinds of stuff, because uh, they sit in the middle of the street and do it, and uh, it's a public street, so you can be on it. But that's what the left is doing now. I can tell you just because the re- it might surprise you guys, but the rest of my family is not as political or as uh, as conservative. Uh, probably as I am and willing to speak out the way I am willing to speak out. And if they showed up like that, um, my wife would probably say to me, Dave, do you need to be saying the things you're saying or can you say them in a different way so those people aren't going to be all pissed off all the time? That's how, yeah, that's Dave, how, it's, that's it's, how self-censorship ends up happening. That's right. This is exactly right. It's the pre-steps to it. Um, it's it's the chilling of, of yes. free speech when somebody's going to threaten to harm you or throw paint all over your house. Or I think they threw some paint on this mayor's house. 
Yes. Um, you know what that is? It's real simple, Dave. It's breaking the law. You are now a criminal, and you should be arrested. I've, I've seen these things. People are upset about federal troops coming into these cities. Guess what? These federal troops are protecting federal property. Uh, it's so simple to me and so clear, black and white here. And being a, being a lawyer, most everything's gray, right? But this here is black and white. Either you're breaking the law or you're not. And um, you know, the First Amendment, there's a reason it's the first. Uh, number one, it says that um, we should make it all that uh, prevents people to peacefully assemble. All right. When you want to do a protest and you start breaking things, you're now a criminal. You're no longer peacefully assembling. You're no longer peacefully assembling. Therefore, you know, you should be arrested. It's real simple. Well, you're breaking. Uh, you're, you're destroying personal, private property or public property, yeah. whichever it might be. That's right. And, and we need the law. We need the rule of law. Guess what? Congress today could pass a law to take all the guns away in the United States. I'm saying that, and probably half of your listeners are going, what? They could make a law to take away your guns? Yeah, they can. They can go and vote to take away all the pistols in America or in, in, in Arkansas. But guess what? We have three separate and equal branches. There's a lot of people that will go and challenge that law in the judicial branch. So let me take the other side for a minute, Dave. Um, maybe devil's advocate here or, or, or the other side of the pancake. We need government to be able to act quickly. The um, um, hypothetical in law school is could, could, could the governor right now just cancel the court system? Could the governor and the, and the legislature jump up and say, we're going to cancel all the courts. We're going to close the court system down for a year, and we're going to defund the police. Let's throw that in there, too, to make it uh, analogous. Can they do it? You bet he could do it. But is it unlawful? No. I mean, and yeah, I mean, yeah, it's unlawful. But why? We've got case law out there, Marbury versus Madison. You, you can't do that. We've got three separate, distinct uh, branches of government. And um, so what we need to do here is, is uh, move slowly. Um, do we need to call the legislature right now? Does the governor need to call the legislature and pass a vote that no one can uh, touch their face anymore? They have to wear a mask. Let's remove all the doorknobs. No one can touch doorknobs anymore. Can they pass a law like that? Yeah, they could go pass it. But at some point, it violates your constitutional rights because it's the government acting. And, and then let's flip over to a private, some private restaurants. Can they force you to wear a mask? Yeah, come on. Let's wake up, y'all. No shirt, no shoes, no service. It's a private company. It, it's a it's private a, business. Yeah, this is a correct. free world. You can do what you want to do inside the bounds of the law. I agree. Let's take a break. We've got to get another break in, and then we'll come back and talk further with Robert and with Chris here on the Dave Ellswick Show. About uh, 78 degrees. Feels like it's 95 out already. It's going to be a hot one today. Dress in, uh, you know, uh, light and, uh, you know, kind of fluffy cl clothing so that you stay cool. 7.48 or 12 till 8. you got 12 minutes to get to work on time if you got to be there at 8 o'clock. Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. $287,619. What could you do with an extra $287,619 in retirement? Well, the only way I'm going to get that is if I win the lottery. So I'd probably take another couple dollars or $3 and buy another lottery ticket. Uh, that's how much a little rock couple could save in taxes with their IRA and 401k. 
Thanks to the tax planning strategies from David Lucas Financial right here in Little Rock, learn exactly how much money you could save. And those are three big words. You could save with a free retirement tax analysis. If you've saved more than $250,000, be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free analysis right now at 501-222-3315. They're waiting for your call. If you have an IRA or a 401k, learn how much money in taxes you could save by calling 501-222-3315. That's 501 501- Two 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 thirty three fifteen investment advisory service offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Ad, uh, Advisor. Just to keep you up to date on what all I'm talking about. All right, so uh, Chris is here, and Robert's here, and Billy is here. Billy is on the phone. Hey, Billy, how are you today? Hi, Dave. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. We had uh, Wayne on uh, earlier in the week to talk about uh, tomorrow's protest that is going to occur uh, over at the governor's mansion. And from what I understand, you guys have uh, over a thousand people who have agreed that they're going to be there. Is that right? Well, at this point. You know, it's kind of up in the air, um, being involved in activist work. You, you get numbers, but, you know, it remains to be seen. We really won't know until, you know, the morning of. But, yes, to answer the question, that, that's what it's looking like. Well, that's We're fantastic. We're hoping for a lot more. We, we, I, wish, I wish the whole state would show up, to be honest with you, but I, I know that's, that's an impossibility. But, you know. Well, there'd we, be we a big to, traffic jam downtown if three and a, a close to 3.1 million people showed up. <laughs> that'd be nice. It'd be nice. Saying, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Are you finding more and more people who are responsive uh, to uh, your call? You know, um, there are a lot of folks that are. Uh, I don't, you know, per capita, you know, ratio-wise, I don't know what that looks like. Um, I am finding that, um, sadly, there are a lot of folks who are complying who, who don't agree with it. Um, I wish... I do, I do so wish folks would stop, and it's not because I don't like masks. I'm not necessarily opposed to a mask. If you want to wear one, wear one. I, I, don't, I don't care if they're, you know, the, the whole issue of whether or not, you know, how serious the COVID deal is, you know, it remains to be seen. You know, the scientific evidence and the numbers being skewed and so on and so forth. I mean, we know we're being lied to. That's, that's really ultimately the crux of the issue, and, and that, that big lie about the COVID situation is being used to turn government into something it never should be. And if we don't defend ourselves here at this point, at least try to, we're just basically laying down and taking it. And that's, that's not good for the future. It's not good for our children. It's not good for the country at all. Um, and I, I just would, I, I just plead with people, please to wake up, you know, Walmart doesn't need your money anymore. They, they don't care what you think anymore. They're just policing folks. And it, it's just not right that a store clerk can, can police me as as an individual and tell me I'm not welcome in the store because I'm not obeying someone in the government. And that that's, that whole thought process is just so Orwellian. It's just wrong. It's just un American. It's just it's just not right. And and I'm I'm hoping people will change their minds about it. And and it's not to be insensitive to those who are ill or who who, who know someone who has been ill. But there's illness everywhere. We've always had illness. Why are we doing this now over an illness? You know. So that's really the crux of it, and, and I hope people will, will, will respond well to that and, and really take the mask off. It's the face diaper. We don't need to think, you know. But that, that's, that's a personal choice. 
real, real quickly, uh, what time do you want people to show up? Uh, I think Wayne told me you guys are going to start at 9.30 in the morning in front of the governor's mansion and go right. probably to, to noon. Well, yeah, um, we we were we were shooting. Of course, Wayne Wayne shooting for nine thirty at the governor's mansion, um, and at noon we intend to convene at the Capitol steps. Um, oh, okay. We'll have sound there. We're gonna have a few speakers and so forth, and um, um, hope folks show up for that. Um, I think I think it's it would just be good to to to, to rub elbows and, and meet folks who are like minded and. And just send the, send the governor a clear message. At least there's a lot of us that don't support it. I wish he would show up in person, you know, and validate his claims in person. Um, you know, at least stand stand the heat of argument. If you if your ideas can't stand in the in the marketplace of other folks' ideas, you know, maybe you should get a new one. But I, I do wish he'd come and support himself with that. But I know that's not going to happen. And I I, I uh, would would really like to see some change happen. So hopefully, a lot of folks will show up. All right. Well, Billy, we're running out of time. I'm up against uh, the time clock for news, which is coming up. Thank I appreciate you, for letting you me call, on. Call, call, calling in. And uh, we've been posting every day on my Facebook on uh, about this and telling people about it. So I hope in some small way we've helped you all. You have. Lord bless. Thanks a lot. All right. Talk to you later. All right. It's Billy. And uh, Billy is one of the spokespeople out there uh, for the uh, protest. And Wayne was really adamant about saying this is not a rally, this is a protest over what uh, the government uh, and the governor uh, is doing, dealing about uh, this whole wearing of a face mask. So if you want to have your voice heard, here's your opportunity. Uh, Just uh, show up at the governor's mansion at 930, and remember at noon they're convening downtown as well on the steps of the the Capitol. They're going to have a few speakers uh, for that, and uh, you should show up for that as well. Wayne said they're starting off early in the morning to beat the heat, and uh, they're going to do it uh, down there by the governor's mansion because this is about the governor and not about, about the legislature or the Supreme Court. It's about the governor. Pretty interesting, guys. We'll pick it up after the news. Uh, Robert, uh, have you got everything uh, packed away of your food that has come? Certainly that uh, enough so that I'm not going to interrupt the show. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> and uh, Chris, uh, we'll be back with you here in a few moments. we got the news coming up, five minutes of getting you caught up with the world, find out what the administration and the Chinese government are up to because uh, they're at loggerheads right now. Cold War coming back to the United States of America. I'll talk to you in a few moments. Hey, 
If you're listening to this on the radio at 6 o'clock, if you're listening to podcasts, I don't know what time it is. If you're listening on Facebook, it's six minutes after 8 in the morning. That's just the way we flow here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Know that uh, you could be listening at just about any time between the time this was recorded and the time that we're playing it back. So uh, we've got Robert uh, Steinbach uh, Bach here, and we've got Chris Corbett here. And I was talking about during the break, uh, I, I don't want to heap burning coals on his head, but i got to talk about Dr. Anthony Fauci from the uh, you know, president's group on COVID-19. We've been led to believe that he loved to play baseball. He loves baseball. He's uh, the world's number one Washington Nationals fan, which he may still be, uh, to be honest. But he threw out the first pitch last night because the 60-game season that they're talking about started last night for Major League Baseball at the uh, Nationals field uh, in Washington, D.C., and they raised a banner of them being the World Series champions for 2019 and gave them their rings and all of that, which is pretty cool to watch all of the hoopla that goes along with the first game of the year. But uh, Fauci threw out the first pitch, and I'm going to be honest with you. I know he didn't have probably time to practice to throw that pitch, and it's a little bit intimidating to stand on the mound and, and try to get the ball to home plate for most people. I mean, he was at middle. He was in the middle of the of the mound. He wasn't back on the rubber. He was he was closer to the mound than you would normally be. But when you throw the ball, and it goes down the first base line, uh, I'm going to question how much baseball you've played. I'm just saying, yeah. you don't have to you don't have to practice that much to be able to get it. By home plate, so if you mean you might bounce it in front, you might even overthrow the catcher's head. But the bottom line is, you should be on line uh, the the home plate. I've done that twice at Travelers game. Did good one time, threw it in at about sixty eight miles an hour, a, a perfect strike. And the next time, I tried to rear back and really throw. And uh, what happened is, I held on to the ball too long, felt came through, and and I uh, I killed a bunch of worms there in front of home plate. So uh, you know things like that happen, but surely you can get it over by home plate. It doesn't go to first base. You know what I'm saying? Did you get? Did you look it up and watch it, uh, Chris? I just, I just watched it, Dave. It's bad. I mean, but <laughs> yeah. let me say, it takes a lot of guts to go out there and throw that ball. But it's a bad. Well, hit, well he threw, Dave. he threw it, he it's, threw it like a shot put. It looked like he was throwing a knuckleball or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was crazy. He really, really. It was have bad. you seen it? Have you seen it, Robert? Yet? Oh, I saw it the other day, uh, and it, the lesson I take away from that is a lesson that would someone ever ask me, and I don't know why they would, to throw out the first ball in some, for some reason in some event. Uh, I would be about four or five feet from the batter. I wouldn't be on the mound. You don't go on the mound. That's where you, where you exaggerate any, uh, 
error in your throwing. I'd be right in front. I'd be so that if the batter put the bat out with his arm extended, it hit me in the nose with the bat. That's how yeah. close I'd be. Yeah, I was. I watched and I watched it a couple of times, and it looked like to me he kind of palmed the ball instead of. You know, gripping it with a couple of fingers and then the rest of it back in yeah. your palm. My my uh, son-in-law was over at uh, the house last night, brought my grandson over to see myself and and uh, see my wife. My grandson loves his, his nana and pop, and he was out wanting to get in the swimming pool and stuff, so he's doing that. But while he was doing that, I showed an old picture to Eli was pointing at a baseball that I have up on my shelf. And he says, Pop, want to play with me? And I said, not with that ball. And he said, Pop, why? And I go, because that was signed by the greatest catcher, I think, who ever played Major League Baseball. And he looked at me kind of strange. He said, who? And I go, Johnny Bench. So I got a baseball with Johnny Bench's autograph. And we don't take that outside and play catch with it. And so uh, I was talking to my uh, my, uh, son-in-law, and I said, have you ever seen the great picture of Johnny Bench? holding seven baseballs and he says yeah nobody does that uh, uh dad i said hey, wait and i pulled up the picture of johnny bench with seven baseballs in his one his throwing hand his right hand and he looked at it and he says no and i said yes <laughs> when i met him it was amazing he has some of the his hands are as big as catcher's mitts they really are they're huge. But he was he's palming seven baseballs. He's got five in between his fingers, and then he's got, he's got uh, two more right in the palm of his hand. Amazing to, to look at that picture. Look it up, Chris. You'll love it. Okay, I can't wait to look it up. Yeah, it's really are, – you, are you a big baseball fan? I grew up in Pine Bluff. If you didn't play baseball, there was something wrong with you. Okay, so bottom line, you knew who Johnny Bench was. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. You know, I would say he was the greatest catcher, and, and right behind him was Carlton Fisk of the Boston Red Sox. He was another oh, great. Nice. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of great catchers. I mean, Yogi Berra and, and, and a lot of other people, uh, uh, Lou Campanella and, and, and some other. Was it Campanella? What? The guy before uh, behind uh, for the Dodgers who was behind home plate when uh, right. Marichal went nuts with the baseball bat. I I forget. Uh, seemed, I can't remember his name right now off the top of my head. Anyway, I won't even ask. Uh, I'm not going to ask Steinbach because I know that he's as anti-American as it comes with baseball. So I don't need to bring, <laughs> I don't need to bring it. <laughs> no, I, Dave, I'm pro-America and pro-American. Uh, I'm just a nerd. So, um, you know, I don't know too much about the sports. Baseball, that's the one with the, uh, with the round ball, right? Yeah, the, the little the round ball. <laughs> that's well, bigger than a cue ball but smaller than a softball, okay? <laughs> I'll have to, I'm going to have to go hey, with Wikipedia there. I, I, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you my background in baseball. I saw the Cardinals play in 1985 in the World Series when Ozzie Smith comes out and does the backflip. There you go. Yeah, I, I go, <laughs> I love baseball. So what, what I have to how, say, yeah. it, sometimes it gets a little slow for me. Yeah, you know, well, it, it's a little slow. They speed it up a little bit. Well, 
I, I understand the game so much that I understand why they're shifting in the whole nine yards, you know. And I know what that means for the catch, uh, the catcher and the pitcher. I know where the catcher's going to frame at. I know where right. the pitcher's going to kind of throw cool. at. Did you did you catch the article about the, the Northern League putting the, the DH rule? Cliff Lee, our, our famous Arkansan here, has come out, and he's very upset about it. Cliff Lee, our pitcher uh, uh-huh. from Arkansas, grew up in Arkansas, pitched yeah, in yeah. a couple World Series. A left-handed pitcher, and he's was he, mad. Was he from? He was like, was he from the from, pitcher's not going to get the bat. Yeah. It, well, the senior league, the National League, has never embraced the uh, designated hitter. That's always been the American right. League, and why during right. the World Series, when they're playing at the National League site, there is no DH, and when they play at the American League site, there is the DH. So it's kind yeah. of, it, that's always been an argument. The one that I really don't like, and, and we haven't seen it yet, is when if they, somebody goes into extra innings, they're going to put a, a runner on second base. You automatically oh. get a runner at second base because they, do, they don't want okay. it to go. Right. You know, they, they don't want any yeah. you know, 21 inning games anymore. So I, I don't know. I just I don't care for it. I did watch enough of the game last night that I saw Stanton launch that home run in the bottom of the in the top of the first for the Yankees. Four hundred and sixty feet, baby. He went deep. He went yard. I'm just saying, whoever if if the if fans had been there, it was whoever was sitting in the cheapest seats in the stadium out in deep center field uh, where that ball landed incredibly crushed and he looks in great shape he's lost probably 40 pounds he looks better now than he's ever looked and he's, he was hurt last year it, it will be interesting to see uh, how well he does uh, uh, this year I think he's going to have a stellar 60 game season uh, to be honest with you so yeah by the way we've put uh, uh, the video of uh, uh, bench with the seven baseballs on my Facebook page. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, so uh, it's a video of it. We can't use the photo but it, because it's copyrighted to Getty Images because I believe that uh, that, base, that, uh, that photo was taken by Sports Illustrated, if I'm not mistaken. All right, quick break. We'll come back. We'll finish up the Dave Ellswick Show with Robert Steinbach and with Chris Corbett, 835. Matt Smith's going to join us. Will the movie theaters reopen or won't they? He's open. He's waiting for the other ones to grow a pair and uh, reopen their doors. We'll talk to him about it when we uh, get to him in the next half hour. But right now, a break, and then we'll come back with more with Robert and with, uh, of course, uh, Chris here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, coming up at the bottom of the hour, uh, we'll have some news for you. Uh, And uh, we're glad that you're with us here in the 6 o'clock hour of our broadcast at 101.1 101.1 FM, The Answer. If you're listening on the podcast, I don't know what time it is. I know it's sometime between 10 a.m. and uh, 6 p.m. That you're, Well, could be later than that. could be uh, midnight tonight. Then. But you're listening to the, to the uh, of course, uh, pod, pod, podcast of the Dave Ellswick Show. Robert's here. If you're watching on Facebook right now, you're hearing it live as it's uh, being uh, recorded. Well, I'm just looking, and Chris Corbett just sent me the picture of uh, Ozzy doing the backflip. He's also yeah. he's still 
he still has his he still has his uh, ticket that he had from 35 years ago when he went to the World Series. I'm looking forward to seeing that, my man. <laughs> did you did you keep anything from your past uh, concerts that you went to, uh, uh, Robert, or anything that you still have as a keepsake? Oh, sure. I've got a bunch of stuff. I, as you know, uh, sadly, my mother passed away uh, fairly recently, and we sold her house and we packed up all the stuff. And so I've got a bunch of stuff uh, that was sent to me from when I was in, including in grade school. Uh huh. You, yeah. You, so. got, you got some of the pictures that you drew when you were in grade school? Nice. <laughs> yep. And your family yep. knew early on they did not give birth to a Picasso? Well, I think actually it was a Picasso because you can't make heads or tails out <laughs> of that. You can't tell what it is, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, my my big keepsake, I got two. One is yeah. that uh, Joan Jett sent me a huge uh, life-size poster of herself in that black nice. leather outfit that she used to wear uh, when she was oh, yeah. early in her career. And it said, to Dave, uh, love Joan x's and o's which i i love nice. when i got that and the and that's folded up and i'd have to look for it but it's folded up somewhere i should get it framed to be honest with you and the other thing is i've got a hand bill poster you guys remember these they were about oh i guess 11 by 13 size and they put up these little posters on on lamp posts and stuff like that telling you a concert was coming to town do you remember oh, yeah. that oh yeah oh yeah yeah sure. i remember those sure yeah. well i still the have buttons? the but the buttons too they had a they had this thing that was cool to have buttons in the 80s yeah well i had i have this poster and it's for the show uh that weekend and it's uh being it's a, a show that featured the jimmy morrison and the doors with special guest performers Steppenwolf. And it was an incredible show at uh, the amphitheater in Chicago. And I was lucky enough to be at it. And uh, one of the weird things that has happened uh, to me is uh, Walmart came out with a special disc a few years ago of a recording of the, you know, they mixed it up, of the three nights that the doors were there at the amphitheater in Chicago. And it's so funny to sit and listen. I was happened to be there the night that Jimmy was on, because if you know anything about the doors, how Jim went, the doors went. I mean, he'd show up so out of his mind on drugs and alcohol at times that he couldn't, he'd stop in the middle of a song and start singing another song and they'd have to catch up. (laughs) So, uh, but he was on the night that I saw him and, uh, the, the night that I saw him, if you've seen the movie The Doors that was done by Oliver Stone, the, the, the scene that they show uh, him at a concert and it, it was outdoors and they got this huge conga line going and all of that stuff. That's the way it was in the, uh, uh, at the amphitheater in Chicago. It was crazy. That man, there is no doubt in my mind, was a shaman. You know, he was a oh, yeah. he was a Native American medicine man. He really, really was. <laughs> when he came out, when he came out on the state uh, stage, something unique was going to happen with him. Oh yeah, I've never I've I've only seen videos. It's wild. When you said Joan Jett, all I could hear was 
I hate myself for loving you. That's all I can hear. Well, you're thinking Monday Night Football. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the, they rewrote that, and it's her and uh, oh, what what's her name from uh, American Idol? Uh, now she's a Greek uh, yeah. uh, country star now, but that's that's mm-hmm. the two of them performing together. Which uh, if you watch the 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 video of it, that's Joan playing that guitar, man. That's her rocking, brother. She yeah. Was a, she's a rock and roll fanatic. She's great. My, my first concert was uh, uh, Cuts Like a Knife. Brian, oh, what was his name? Brian, Brian Adams. Brian Adams. Brian Adams, that's right. Cuts Like a Knife. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't good, hear for good, two days. I didn't, I, no one told me to wear earplugs. How about you? What's the what's the last what's the first concert you went to, Robert? And please don't tell don't me Montavani. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, I, I we had tickets. I what, what I do remember about concerts is we had tickets for the Monsters of Rock concert, which was a combination of the biggest rock bands of the time, uh-huh. and it was canceled. So I remember the cancellation oh, no. other than the concerts that I attended. Why did they cancel? That would have been an outdoor outdoor show yeah. probably uh, over there in New Jersey yeah, Giant Stadium, wasn't it? That's yeah. right. That's right. I don't remember why it was canceled. There was some event that occurred that caused it to be canceled, and it was a real disappointment. Well, the, when I interviewed Joan Jett, I was in the Air Force yeah. at the time, and I interviewed her. Uh, it was at uh, the Summer Jam in, in uh, Texas. Uh, and uh, it was it happened at the now disappeared gone uh, Astrodome, and uh, she uh, wasn't even one of the big stars there. The big the big act was uh, Sticks at the time, and they were doing their Mr. Roboto show, uh, Doctor, oh, yeah. you know the Roboto show, and then you had uh, the, the person who opened before them. Uh, was Santana? Carlos Santana was there, so nice. that that was a, a great show as, as well. But the crowd loved Joan. I'm just tell you, Joan. Yeah, she's man. Gonna, she'll she'll you she's going to win that, you over just how hard she works. Yeah, in in those same years, the next memorable concert I can remember, Dave, is uh, Heart and Barracuda. Those two those two ladies, rocking ladies on the stage. One was. She, Dark haired and one was blonde, and it was yeah. a bunch of hair. Na- Nancy, I mean, a bunch of Nancy hair. was the blonde. She played the guitar. Anne is yeah. the dark head, and she was the one that was the lead singer. And she had nice. pipes, man. She could sing. And I got to yeah. tell you, I, I interviewed them in uh, in San Antonio, and I I saw this opening act that they had, and I said, I got to get this guy on tape. He had just released a song that became a huge, huge hit for him. And uh, it was uh, Jack and Diane. And uh, you'll, no never, you'll never forget, uh, you know, Cougar. Uh, he was a great musician. He's a, a flipping huge progressive. But uh, bottom line is uh, he came out and nobody really knew who he was. And he, run, he won the crowd over. And he was really, really good. And he was on the bill. He was on the bill as Johnny Mellencamp. Johnny. Yeah, man, that's a great song. You saw that song in concert before it was big. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He he was he had just released it 
uh, the week of the, uh, that I saw him opening for Hart at that time, he wasn't opening for them very long. He went on to be his own open act, of, of course, his own headline act uh, as far as that's concerned. That's well, to be honest, guys, I'd like to sit with you all day long today and talk about concerts. Yeah, I got what, some. What are, we I, I got, what are we talking about? I got some stories. Well, we don't have any time to talk about anything else. We've already talked. Oh, we'll be, oh I thought we were waiting on the recording. We're recording now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're on. recording right now. You're on the air. You, okay. I'm glad you watched your P's and Q's, dude. I thought we were waiting. I did. I'm trying to watch my P's and Q's. But now yeah, you, got, you did good. I got a little ditty about Jack and Diane stuck in my head now. Yeah. This is a song about Jack and Diane, you know. Yeah. Trying to do the best they can. <laughs> Rock on. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Robert, we're going to let you go. You're sitting there shaking your head. Ellswick stole the show <laughs> talking about culture again. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that what that is? That's culture? Okay. I just wanted to make sure. I'm glad you cleared that up. All right, y'all. Y'all have a a great weekend, all right? See you, Dave. Appreciate you being there. All right. Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Matt Smith will join us coming up at 830. Well, I'm saying 835, but he'll be with us in about five minutes Uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Final half hour for the uh, Dave Ellswick Show today. Uh, Matt is with us, Matt Smith. He's the owner of all the uh, VIP cinemas here in central Arkansas and uh, Hot Springs, Little Rock, Cabot, Searcy, and, of course, up in Batesville as well. And uh, he's been open now for over a month uh, and back in business but there, there are theaters are out there that have not reopened. Cinemark was supposed to be opening this Friday, but have announced that they will not be reopening their door this uh, doors this Friday. They originally planned to reopen uh, on Friday this weekend with Evergreen Classics, uh, kind of like what uh, uh, you know Matt's been playing to get people acclimated to their new safety protocols, but that's not happening. And the reason it isn't happening, Matt, it's, it seems, number one, the coronavirus is, uh, you know, we've got extra people getting infected or whatever. But the big reason uh, is that Christopher Nolan and his new movie, Tenet, has now said that it will not be released on August 12th, and they don't have a new release date. So it's going to be interesting now to see what Cinemark is going to do. So why don't you talk about where the movie industry is at right now and what you think is going to play out over the next, I don't know, month, maybe two months. Okay, well, in those statements, there was a lot of truth <laughs> and, okay. and maybe some misconceptions. Um, we have been open, uh, all of my cinemas in Arkansas have been open since May the 18th. And so, uh, yes, we're open. Batesville, Cabot, Searcy, Little Rock, and Hot Springs. Uh, we've got movie tickets for just $5. Uh, we're selling some concession items for only $2. Uh, we've been open since May 18th. Uh, you can find us at at uh, Riverdale10.com, SearcyCinema.com, uh, uh, up in Batesville it's OaksCinema.com, uh, Hot Springs is HotSpringsVIP.com, and in your hometown of Cabot, it's CabotVIPCinema.com. Now we are playing a mix of some really cool classic films like uh, Karate Kid from 1984, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, um, and uh, Wizard of Oz. Uh, those are on the screen. And then we've got some current films like Bloodshot and Jumanji The Next Level. And we're playing a brand-new film that came out today called The Rental, which is a, uh, which is a horror movie. All right. So, uh, yes, yes. And uh, really had a good review in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette today uh, for The Rental. Uh, Philip Martin really liked it. Uh, he reviewed it in the newspaper today. And he also has an online video that he does each week. He also talks about The Rental in that. So we've got a mix of new movies because some new movies are being released at cinemas. And we've got a mix of classic films on. Now, the issue um, is really not our industry. Um, movie studios, whether you're talking about Warner Bros. with Tenet or you're talking about Mulan with, from Walt Disney Films, uh, any of the studios, they want to release their movies in movie theaters. Uh, they're ready to go. And the movie cinemas want to be open, and they want to be showing movies. And, you know, we are an industry that works, you know, hand-in-hand, hand-to-glove, so to speak. Uh, The movie studios need movie screens to put their movies on, and the movie cinemas need new movies to put on those screens. Uh, There's no reason to put out a new movie if there's not movie theaters open to play the movie, and there's no reason for movie theaters to open unless there's a new movie to play. So now we've got, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of a, a circle argument here. You've got exactly, and and the issue comes down to, um, you know, some of these states that are just determined to possibly cripple um, my industry, certainly, and, and maybe the American economy as a whole. Uh, You know, New York, um, the state of New York, will not allow movie cinemas to open. Uh, The state of California will not allow movie cinemas to open. Uh, Those two states alone represent 25% of all of the movie screens in North America. Wow. They won't let them open. Uh, New Jersey will not let movie theaters open. Michigan will not let movie theaters open. The National Association of Theater Owners has filed a lawsuit against the state of Michigan and the governor of Michigan. Uh, The National Association of of Theater Owners has filed a lawsuit against the state of New Jersey and the governor of New Jersey. And at this point, there may be some more states that they're suing. Uh, The issue in Michigan and New Jersey specifically is um, bowling alleys are open in those states. Dine-in restaurants are open in those states. Uh, churches and synagogues are open in those states. Uh, bars are open in those states. So there's all kinds of indoor venues where people can go in Michigan and New Jersey, yet movie theaters are prohibited from opening. And, and you know, a, that's the issue. And a, and a big part of this is you all, as an industry, have met the requirement of how to keep people safe in your theaters when they go to see a movie and what happens to the, to the theaters between showings and all the rest. You guys oh, it's, are... It's, it's really above and beyond the guidelines. It is a whole lot easier to keep people separated in a movie theater than it is in a bar or than it uh-huh. is inside a restaurant. It's very easy for us to reduce our capacity. We simply 
reduce the number of tickets that are available for purchase. And you can very easily reduce your capacity. So if you want a capacity of 25% or 50% or 60%, you just sell that number of tickets. We are using every other row in the auditorium. So if you go into a theater and sit down, the uh, row in front of you and the row behind you is empty. When you go online to purchase your tickets, you can buy your tickets as a family group. Let's say you and your wife want to go to the movies in Cabot tonight. So you go online and you pick out two tickets and you buy those two tickets so you and your wife can watch the film. Our computer system automatically blocks off the seat to your left and the seat to your right. So if you go to Cabot tonight or any of my movie theaters in Arkansas to watch a movie, when you go in there and sit down in your two seats for you and your wife, the seats in front of you are empty. The seats right. behind you are empty. The seats to your left and the seats to your right are empty. So our social distancing is automatically built into the system. Yeah, I got and a safety that, halo, so to speak. It's You've got your space automatically, uh, unlike some of these other venues that we're talking about. So uh, we've reduced our capacity, and we've implemented our social distancing. So we are following those guidelines. All of the theaters that are open are doing that. The theaters that want to open are doing that. Uh, so the problem is this, um, this restraint of trade, you know. Uh, it would be very easy for us to operate. I mean, let's say Mulan and Tenet were to open in August like they were originally supposed to, right? Uh-huh. We could just take Mulan and put it on four screens. Right. Take, take Tenet and put it on four screens. Reduce the capacity in those, those auditoriums. But now at an eight-screen movie theater, you're playing two movies, not eight. Stagger your show times, and now you've solved your social distancing problem. I it's, got it's you. It's really not that complicated. Now, uh, these idiot politicians, you know, who don't own businesses, uh, they make this thing complicated, but it's not. Now, obviously, if they could run a business, they'd be doing that instead of leeching off the taxpayer. <laughs> you and I see things so so completely alike. It's amazing. Well, I, I mean, it's it's true. Yeah, I agree with you. You know what they say? They it, it kind of applies this way way is those who can do and those who can't teach. Well, uh, that's, you know, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's politics. I mean, you know, they they really don't want to do that. Yeah. They just they couldn't uh, they couldn't make it in business and they couldn't be an actor. So hey, there they are. All right, that, before that, I mean, that's the reality. Before we go to break, John Fithian, who is the uh, head of uh, the uh, National Association of Theater Owners, and you were referring to them just a moment ago says he thinks that it would be wise for distributors to make some money as opposed to no money. He says most businesses would take 85% of that instead of zero, which will be what happens if they wait for all the markets to open up. He said it's well, unclear where where uh, he came up with 85% since 85% of theaters are not op- even open. But AMC and Regal are supposed to open next week. Well, uh, no, no, they, no. AMC has said they will not be opening until sometime in August at this point. Oh, okay. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a moving target. So, um, no, they're not going to be open. Regal's not going to open next week either. You know, All the right, people so. that are open out there are independent operators like me. We're open. Those big mega chains aren't open. 
Now, what I think is going to happen is you're going to see these movies like Tenet, and you're going to see these movies like Unhinged. You're going to see these movies pop into markets that are open, uh, theaters in Europe, theaters in South Korea, theaters in Japan, theaters in Singapore, Taiwan. Uh, they they put um, Unhinged on uh, just a handful of screens last uh, weekend in Germany, and it did $250,000 in ticket sales. Uh, it wasn't even in big cities. It was just a little test run, right? Uh-huh. And people turned up. So well, I, I can expect, imagine. Yes, I expect Tenet to actually open in some uh, overseas theaters and overseas marketplaces in August. I expect Tenet to be on movie screens in the United States in September. Uh, what I what I think what I think will happen is uh, Warner Brothers is going to set a date, and they're going to say if you're open, you get to play Tenet. And if you're not open, oh well. And then people like Cinemark and AMC and Regal are going to step at the plate and get something done. You know, if you sit around on your hands waiting on your governor to get something done, I mean, hey, you know, if you're in, if you're in if you're in Illinois or Michigan or you know, Oregon or you know, New York City, wow, Arkansas, yeah, you know, well, I mean, if you're just, well, not here, I mean, we're open. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Arkansas I understand. is open. I mean, uh, we have a governor that is business friendly. Uh, I'm saying if you're if you're you know in one of those one of those states that's controlled by a Democrat, um, you know they're, they're they're trying to keep everything closed. All right, we got another segment of this show coming up. Stay with us. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM. The answer. Matt Smith is our guest. Who uh, Matt is not uh, in any way, shape, or form scared to share his opinion. We'll be back with him in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. Whenever he's on, it always goes fast. And Matt Smith is with us today. Uh, Matt, of course, is the owner of all the uh, VIP cinemas across central Arkansas and some others not even here in the state. But you've got, uh, you know, Hot Hot Springs. You've got uh, Little Rock. You've got Cabot. You've got Searcy. You've got... uh, Batesville, and who knows where you will end up. You may, you know, if they keep closing them, those theaters up for a few more weeks, you may be buying into some more theater change there, uh, Matt, before <laughs> this is all over with. But hey, we're, uh, we're happy to be open and, and so glad we could open up back on May the 18th in Arkansas and, and just, uh, just wish some other theater operators across the country had the same opportunity. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly. So, Everything is up in the air. I mean, they, Godzilla was going to open at this mm-hmm. time. Then it was pushed back, and it was going to open in November. Now they've moved it to 2021. I think it's April of 2021. Tenet yeah. was going to open right at the beginning of uh, August, I think the 12th. Now they said, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to move it back. And there's talk about opening it up in Europe first and then bringing it back to the United States. And it, it is just a mishmash of crazy stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, has the movie industry as, as uh, a group, have they, have they moved on now and at least are going back and working on their movies? I mean, I saw Cameron said he was looking at the early rushes of Avatar 3, and he said, I'm blown away about how cool it looks, so I can't wait to see it now if, if James Cameron is blown away by it. 
Yes. Well, there there has been some work that has been done. Some areas are less restrictive. They're they're able to film. Now, I'll tell you what you will see. I think you're going to see a lot of strong animated product going forward because uh, animation doesn't require, uh, you know, all the physical contact and everything. It doesn't require people on set. It doesn't require a crowd. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. I think you'll see some strong animated features coming out in the next year or two, which is good. And then also I think there will be a resurgence of the uh, mid-budget film, which I know this is crazy, but a $50 million movie is kind of a low-budget, <laughs> mid-budget film. You know, That's in this incredible. Yes, yes. It, it is an extremely capital-intensive industry. And, and, you know, on both sides, not only as an exhibitor, but, you know, or, or not only as a studio, I should say, but also on the exhibition side, it's incredibly capital-intensive business. I mean, you know, we've talked about that before. Yeah. So I think you will see some um, dramas and some romantic comedies made that do not require, um, you know, a lot of extras and big crowds and huge sets and things like that. And there has been some people crying and saying that there's just too many blockbusters, too many tent poles. Uh, where is your story-driven comedy or drama? And I think we'll see more of those getting made uh, just due to the necessity uh, of filming and some of the restrictions and not crowding people together and that kind of thing, which I think is good. Um, you know, not everything has to be a bazillion-dollar blockbuster tentpole film. I'm glad we have those, but I have enjoyed a lot of, you know, smaller-budget films myself. I like dramas and things like that. So let me let me ask this. A couple of genres of, of films. I think that means that horror films... There may be more horror films because typically they're not really uh, money intensive. You don't need as much money to make a horror movie as you need to make, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Avengers Endgame or whatever. And the same thing goes to say for uh, faith-based movies as well. Do you think that we'll see more of them? Well, I do think horror is a tried and true genre that uh, people return to over and over again. The fans return to those movies. Uh, it is definitely uh, something that teenagers want to see, and it is something that the industry has always relied on. So, yes, you'll see more of those. And really the new film that we have this week, The Rental, which is playing at Riverdale 10, Riverdale10.com, um, got a great review today. It is a scary film. Uh, I would throw it in there with a psychological uh, thriller. Uh, more than just a stand-up horror film, the the monster is not really a monster. The monster is a person, and I mean right. we know people can be monsters. And this is very much a, a psychological film that 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 shakes you up. It's it's an intense, tight motion picture, and I agree with you. More horror films will be made. Um, you know, to me, again, we've talked about this. Um, you know, the faith-based films. Um, I almost think sometimes with some people that might hurt the turnout. Uh, I know with your listeners, I know with myself, I know with you, I'm hunting down a faith-based film. I want to play those movies. I'm looking to get those movies and put them on the screen. Uh, I like the the fact that they're made. I like the fact that they're out there. I tell you, though, I wish they would do just some sneak guerrilla marketing type stuff, make a faith-based film, don't call it that and release it. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah. Yes, I, th- I, th- I think, you know, see who would turn up, right? And, and you might get that good message across to them, and they don't even know it, you know? Right, So, so right. I, w- I would like to see that, most definitely, most definitely, I would. 
Okay, so so the rental stars Allison Brie, mm-hmm. who uh, recently you've seen her on Netflix and Glow, which is uh, a really good series about women's wrestling during the 80s. It's a mm-hmm. fun mo- show to watch. Dan Stevens is in it as well. Uh, I'm, I'm going to figure that he's probably the bad guy in this. He's done Downtown Abbey, uh, you know, Beauty and the Beast, and uh, Eurovision. He did that as well. He probably wants to forget about that movie. But the bottom line is he's done a, <laughs> he's done a lot of uh, a, a lot of product, and, and these are two people that are, uh, I won't say that they're major names in the business, but they're mid-level names in the business. Well, Dave Franco directs. He's directed some great films. You've also got Jeff, Jeremy Allen White from um, from Shameless. He's in the film. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it is a good, tight, psychological thriller. New. It's rated R. It's out today. I uh, can get you tickets at Riverdale10.com. Uh, right. We've got some other cool stuff on, too. we got the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which is rated G from 1971 with Gene Wilder. And we got Karate Kid on from 1984, you know. So I mean, wax on, cool wax off, baby. Wax <laughs> on, wax off. <laughs> Tickets are five bucks. We got concessions on for two dollars. I'm looking. I'm looking to go. Right I I may come over tonight and see uh, the rental because I'm jonesing for some popcorn, brother. I mean, It'll seriously. <laughs> I love. I love theater popcorn. They'll get it on. And, you know, hey, we're serving beer and wine, you know. So, I mean, you can have beer and wine and Cabot and Hot Springs and and Little Rock at the cinema. So we have that. And full food menus. All right there, all available. I mean, check us out at Riverdale10.com and Little Rock. It's CerseCinema.com and Cersei. Hot Springs, VIP.com and Hot Springs. Oaks, VIPCinema.com in Batesville. And then, of course, in your hometown, it's it's Cabot, VIPCinema.com. They're well, in the big was, city of Cabot. So. i got to tell you what, I was looking at your uh, Instagram picture today with Slash, and I thought that was, well, did you take that when Guns N' Roses came through uh, Little Rock? Uh, that one was at Soundcheck at War Memorial Stadium. Uh, yeah. That's where I took that pic. Uh, but I, I've got a lot of pictures with Slash. Yesterday was his birthday. Oh, okay, so that's why you posted it. Well, that's <laughs> yes, cool. Yes, All right, what Matt, a, we're out of star player. He's We're out of time. Reborn for sure. Yeah, that's true. He can play. There's no doubt about it. Appreciate you being on with me. We'll get you again next Friday here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Matt Smith wraps it up for us. I'm Dave Ellswick. Have a great weekend. See you Monday, 6 a.m.